Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. great way to start the service. Amen. All right, listen, we're going to turn it over now to our kids choir. So I want y'all to give a big hand to our Flat Creek Kids Choir at this time.
Well, that'll bless your heart, won't it? All these kids singing about the coming of our Savior. Look, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids' choir to go down to Children's Church at this time, okay? Now, if they were already there during the early service and you want to meet them at the doorway back there, that would be great. But they're going to make their way out this side door. Y'all go this way, this way, this way. There we go. And they're going to head on down to Children's Church with Miss Breeze and the workers, okay? So at this time, though, we want to go ahead and say welcome to Flat Creek Baptist Church, and I'm going to uh, invite you guys to stand and sing now. How about that? Are you all excited we get to worship a risen Savior this morning? Great. Three of you are really glad to be here. Let's try one more time. Are you all excited to worship a risen Savior this morning? That was a little, was still delayed, but I'll take it. How about that? Let's sing this good song together, Joyful, Joyful.
And listen, we're going to ask you to remain standing and join me for a time of prayer. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come to this place today to join together as the body of Christ and to worship you. Uh, Lord, at the 830 service this morning, we were able to dedicate one little baby uh, to your glory, for that little baby to one day rise up and maybe be a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, a worship leader. Going into Sunday school was just a great time of, of deep Bible teaching and just getting to fellowship with other believers and then coming into this service, baptism, children's choir. Lord, all of these things are great, but here's the thing, God, we do them all for you. It, it can't just be another thing. It, it can't just be we're putting a performance on or we're putting on a show. It can be none of those things. Uh, Lord, we say it all the time, and, and I, I know that people probably grow weary of myself or Caleb saying the same thing week after week after week. But we never, Lord, we never want anybody to leave here talking about us. If they leave talking about us, then we have failed. Lord, we desire nothing more than for every person to leave saying how great is our God. How great is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's him that we come to exalt. It's him that we come to make known. And so, Lord, we pray right now that, that if there'd be anything in our hearts that are distracting us, if there'd be anything in our mind that is keeping us from hearing the word of God, if there'd be any spirit not of the Holy Spirit hovering in this room right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray that, God, you would rid us of all distractions and anything that would hinder us from hearing your word today and to being able to enter into your presence in Christ-exalting worship. It is all about you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the time. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we're going to ask you to remain standing as our uh, praise team comes back and lead us in Angels from, the Angels from the Realms of Glory. If you'll sing along. I don't think we've done this yet either. So y'all turn around, find a visitor, say welcome to Flat Creek Baptist Church. Find somebody you know and love and say, I'm so glad I get to see you this morning.
Aren't you glad we have a king worthy of our worship? Well, look, Kaylee's going to lead us in this next song, but I got I to gotta just share this real fast with you. It'll only take a second. Pastor Zach is preaching the genealogy of the king today, and he's going all the way back to Genesis. <laughs> so you better buckle up, but I'm telling you what, it's rich. From the beginning of time, all things point to one king, the king. Let's sing to him now, the king of kings.
you so much. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. What a great time of worship we've had this morning. Amen. Just a great, great day. You know, you may not recognize this or know this, but uh, here at Flat Creek, we actually have a team of intercessors. Uh, many of you do not even know this, but we have a team of intercessors that during every service are right underneath your feet in the church basement right now praying over this service. Amen. They gather every Sunday underneath us and they pray for a solid hour and a half until we get done. And here's what they're praying. They're praying for each one of you. Some of you they're praying for by name. Some of you they're praying over maybe the situation that you find yourself in. Maybe a sickness that you're going through. But they're praying over each one of you right now. And so what I want to say to you from the very beginning of today's message is this. That in just a, a few moments we're going to come to the end of this service. <coughs> And when we come to the end of this service, I'm going to give you an invitation to come to Christ. And some of you in the room right now, you've never given your life to him. And you know it. Down deep in your heart, you know it. Every Sunday, I stand here and plead with you to come to Christ, and you walk out of here playing games. But today, we're going to give an invitation in a few moments to come to Christ. And I'm going to come right down here to this altar, and I'm going to stand and our musicians are going to come back to the stage, and when that happens, we're going to ask you to make a really bold move and to just step out of your seat and to come forward and to give your heart to the Lord Jesus. And so I want you to be thinking about that, and I want you to be focused on that, and I want you to listen and truly discern the Spirit's leading in your heart as we begin to look at the book of Matthew chapter 1. So if you'll turn your Bibles there with me today, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through verse number 17. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 17. Now, when you get to this chapter, indeed, what Caleb said to you is true. You're going to see a list of names. And I already know what some of you are thinking. Oh, no. <laughs> of all the days to show up to Flat Creek Baptist Church, he's going to preach a list of names. But I just want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would really just tune your spiritual ear in today to hear God's Word. In my hand, I hold a Christmas gift that I received in 2016. Uh, my mama's here today, and my mama actually is the one who gave me this, and she didn't just give this to me, but she gave it to every member of our family. She worked diligently for many months to put this together. If you could see the front cover, it says the Williams McDowell family tree. What I hold in my hand is my genealogy, if you will. Matter of fact, it starts way back in the early 1800s. Listen to this with my great, 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 great grandfather, Thomas Williams, on my grandfather's side. And starts with my great-granddaddy, Floyd McDowell, on my grandmama's side. And so this week, I just kind of took it off the bookshelf, and I began to flip through the pages. As then I flipped through the pages, I, I came across these names, names that I have heard about all my life, like my great-grandfather, Father Walter, and his prayer life, and just thinking about that testimony. 
And then I, I flip over and I, I see a name in uh, my great aunt Nell who grew up in Hitler's Germany. And then I turn over and I see like my uncle Dewey McDowell on my grandmama's side and he was passed away before I was even born. But all of these names are names that I've heard all of my life. Now here's what I'm going to say to you. I would venture to say that, that if I were to take a poll of the audience this morning, 99.9% of you, and the reason I say 99.9% .9 is I'm sure there could be that one oddball in the group. <laughs> I know who you are. 99.9% .9 of you today will not come to me at the end of this service and say, Pastor Zach, can I take that home and read that? <laughs> I mean, I just really want to read every name in your family tree. And do you know why you won't do that? Because this isn't your family. I mean, all these names are just names that mean nothing to you, so why would you want to take this and read this? And quite honestly, dear friend, I, I believe that's what happens oftentimes when we come to these genealogies in Scripture. We come to them and we see this long list of names and we think to ourselves, it's not my family, it's not my heritage, they lived thousands of years ago. I don't know who those people are. I can't pronounce half of their names. What does that have to do with me? It's of little importance, so we skim over it, we skip over it, and don't really see the true value of what we're actually skipping over. I mean, here's the thing. You can take this home this afternoon, and you can bring it back at 5 o'clock today, the Williams McDowell family tree. You can read every name. And you can come back this afternoon with a greater, even a greater knowledge of my family than I have. But you know what? It's not going to do anything for you. But that's the difference in the genealogies of Scripture. Because let me remind you, dear friend, that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And so every single name that is put in Scripture is put there under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is meant to be read. So let's not just skim over it. Let's not just skip over it. Let's understand that God actually wants to teach us something through these names. So as we approach the text today to look at this message entitled The Genealogy of the King, I want you to approach it with an open heart and an open mind and open ears because God does have something that he wants to say to us through this genealogy. So let's begin reading Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. You'll notice he begins by writing the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Now, the word Messiah there in the Greek is the Greek word Christos. It means anointed one. In other words, Matthew is saying this is the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ. He, he's emphatically stating this is the one that we have all waited for. This is the Messiah that we've been looking for since the fall in the garden. Now, if you are a Jew, Matthew has your attention. Because all Jews knew that the Messiah was coming through their lineage. And let me remind you that Matthew was a tax collector, so he kept impeccable records. He would have known all these family trees 
really probably by hand. And the reason I bring that up is to tell you that he is a reputable witness. You notice what he says here. He says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this genealogy in Matthew, it differs just slightly from the genealogy that is found in Luke 3. In Luke 3, Luke traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, but Matthew doesn't do that. Matthew begins with David and Abraham, and the reason he does that is because his original intended audience was Jewish, and it was his, it was his aim to emphatically state that Jesus alone is the rightful king. And beyond that, he wants them to know for certain that Jesus, his ancestors are Abraham and David. Now, why would that be important? Well, it's because God gave the covenants to these two men. To David, he said, David, I make my covenant with you. You will never cease to have somebody from your line seated on the throne in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, David, I'm going to establish your kingdom and your rule forever. And then he says to Abraham, Abraham, from your descendants is going to come forth the seed that will indeed crush the head of the serpent. Therefore, all Jews, they knew this one thing, that the Messiah must be distinctly Jewish in ethnicity and nationality as a descendant of Abraham, and he must also be a member of the royal line according to the lineage of David. So since we've established that fact, I want you to listen to this list of names. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel became the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad. And Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. You'll notice right there in verse 17 that he continually brings up this number 
14. And just so you know, just a little thing maybe you could write in the margins of your Bible, the numerical value of the name David in the Hebrew is actually the numerical value 14. And really what Matthew is trying to convey to all people is that Jesus in every way is completely and fully the fulfillment of God's promise to David. Now, what lessons can we learn from these names? Because there are a lot of them, and I know you're looking at me like there is nothing there. But I promise you, friends, there is a wealth of knowledge here. So I want to give you four observations from the text today. Number one, number one, God delights in recording names in his book. Who said that? James. Amen. Every time I say it, that's all I want to say. Amen. God delights in recording names in his book. I want you to turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and I want you to listen. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. 1 Chronicles 4 and verse number 13. I want you to listen. Give you just a moment to get there. 1 Chronicles 4, verse 13. Now the sons of Kenaz were Othniel and Sariah. And the sons of Othniel were Hathath and Manathai. Manathai became the father of Ophrah. And Sariah became the father of Joab, the father of G. Harishim. For they were craftsmen. Now I know what you're going to ask me. Pastor Zach, who are those people and why are they important? I have no idea. I have no idea. But God knows. In fact, God deemed these individuals so important to his heart that he said in the eternal foundations of the Godhead, I'm writing their names in my book so that all generations might know who they are. Friends, God delights in writing names in his book. Every time I preach through a genealogy is my favorite point to make. As a matter of fact, if you walk through Genesis with us, we hit genealogies every five chapters or so. And I think every time that I preach the genealogy, this was my first point. God delights in writing names in his book. It points us to the fact that your name must be written in God's book. If you want to spend eternity with him in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about the Bible. Instead, I'm talking about a different book. Go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter number 20. Revelation 20, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11. Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. And listen to what the apostle John says. He said, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged." every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the other day I was doing a Bible study with my son Tucker. 
And as me and Tucker were reading through that passage, I said, Tucker, what do you notice? Tell me something you see. And Tucker said, Daddy, what I see is that there are two books. There are two books mentioned in Revelation chapter number 20. And here's what I'm going to tell everybody under my voice right now. Your name this morning is recorded in heaven in one of those two books. And your entire eternity depends on which book your name is found in. One of those books, the Bible says, has your name written in it, and next to your name are your works. And let me just remind you that your works can never save. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. If you remember the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, what then? Are we any better? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Friends, your works can never save you. The Bible says that even your good deeds are filthy rags in the eyes of God. If you stand before God on judgment day and your name is found written in this book, when those books are open and your works are revealed, you're standing there in your own defense. You are your own lawyer. And the only thing that you will have to stand on is your own righteousness. And the Bible says that you will be cast into the lake of fire. But now there's a second book that your name can be written in, and the Bible calls it in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible says that if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that heaven is yours. So somebody in the room this morning may ask the question, well, how can I make sure that my name is in that book? Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, there is an invitation for you this morning. There's an invitation in the scripture for all people everywhere of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue to have your name recorded in God's book. What does he say? That whosoever believes. The word whosoever in the Greek is a little three-letter word. You can talk Greek this afternoon if you remember it. It's the word pas, P-A-S. Really easy to remember. And you know what pas means? All. Anybody. Everyone. Whosoever believes. Friends, there is an open invitation, no matter who you are, where you come from, what social class you may be in, what color you are, there's an open invitation to believe in Christ. And when you do, I'm not sure how it works. I don't know. But when you do, according to the Bible, God opens up his book, the Lamb's book of life, and he takes out his ink pen. And he dips it in the blood of the lamb which was slain before the foundation of the world. And he writes your name in his book. And let me remind you this morning, dear brother and sister, there's not an eraser on earth that can erase it. There's not white out on earth that can blot it out. There's no man that can walk into heaven and remove it. When your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, it is written down and etched in heaven forever. 
And so the question becomes this morning, is your name written in God's book? If it's not written, let me say this to you, God would delight in recording your name in his book today. That's an invitation for you, dear friend. Now, the second observation is this. Every name in this genealogy, every name and every person matters. Every name and every person matters. Let me remind you, dear friends, that there is not one person in this genealogy who is not supposed to be there. And there's not one person omitted from this genealogy by accident. Every person whose name is mentioned is mentioned on purpose, and every single person matters. All of them are real people who lived and died, and each one of them lived with a divine purpose to usher in the coming of the Messiah. Now, I want you to consider some of these names. First of all, verse 1, consider Abraham. Before the call of God came upon his life, who was Abraham? He was an insignificant idol worshiper living in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. Outside of his own family and outside of his own community, Abraham wasn't known. Abraham was nothing special. But God saw something in him. Friends, he mattered to God. And so God set him apart. God chose him. God used him to be the father of a nation, his chosen people. There's another name in verse number two. It's the name Jacob. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, you know that Jacob is the second-born son of Isaac and Rebekah. And there is absolutely nothing good in Jacob. Jacob is a swindler. Jacob is a conniver. He stole his brother's birthright. He stole his brother's blessing. He's on the run in a foreign country being hoodwinked by his own uncle. I mean, honestly, what is good in Jacob? What offering can Jacob bring? Jacob can bring no offering. Jacob is a terrified mama's boy. What does he matter? But he mattered to God. God chose him to be the father of 12 tribes of Israel. And God gave him the special promise that from you, Jacob, the Messiah will come. And then in verse number 3, you find the name Judah. Judah? Are you kidding me? What good is Judah? He purposed and sold his own brother into slavery. Everything we know about Judah is nothing but depravity, debauchery, and evil his entire life. What good is Judah? What can we gain from such a man? But he mattered to God. God promised Judah that from your lineage, a king will come who will be known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. In verse number 6, you come across a man named Jesse. Who is Jesse? He's just a sheep farmer in Bethlehem. He has seven sons. Six of those sons are in Saul's army, and they're terrified in tents of a giant from Gath named Goliath. Jesse's just an insignificant man. He doesn't matter, but he mattered to God. In fact, his youngest-born son is going to not only slay the giant, but is going to become the carrier of God's covenant, his son being King David. David. What good is David? 
David is the youngest of his brothers. His own dad said that he was ruddy. There was nothing about him that we would desire. He's just a shepherd boy out in the fields, just like hundreds of other shepherds. He's insignificant. He's dirty. He's a wanderer. What does David matter? But he mattered to God. In fact, if God had not chosen David, he would have gone down in history as just an other, another unnamed son of Jesse, just like some of his brothers. But God had a purpose for this young lad far more than we could ever imagine. And then when you come to verse number 6 through 11, you begin to go down this list of kings. Some of them are evil, like Solomon and Rehoboam and Abijah, Ahaz, Ammon, and Jeconiah. What purpose do these kings have? Evil kings that lived thousands of years ago. And then you have good kings like Asa and Jehoshaphat and Uzziah, Jotham and Hezekiah and Josiah, all of them good kings. What do they matter? Friends, in the grand scheme of things, they matter to God because all of them, he weaves his plan of redemption down through the ages. No king, good or bad, could alter God's eternal decree. And then you come down to verse 12 through 16, and these names are names that are listed after the kings. These are the names of individuals who were in captivity in Babylon. Their historical records are scant. And really, other than the name of Zerubbabel, we really don't have history on any of them. Zerubbabel being mentioned in the book of Haggai. But every single name matters. How do I know? Because look at the end of this line of names, and who do you find? Joseph, an obscure carpenter living in the armpit of Jewish society. He was a poor man. He didn't have much. He was just an ostracized member of society. And then you see this other name, Mary. Mary is just a young girl from the same town betrothed to Joseph. She was poor. She was common. Honestly, she didn't matter to anybody. But both of them mattered to God. Mary, of course, becomes the virgin girl who fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah as she becomes the virgin that will carry the Messiah in her womb. And Joseph, what a great honor to be the adoptive father of the Messiah, Jesus. Neither one of them mattered to anyone else but they both mattered to God. He had a plan for each. Friends, in every circumstance, who made the difference? God made the difference. It reminds me of that old poem that we used to read in the church. We used to hear it all the time. Pastors used to read it, and it's a poem entitled, The Touch of the Master's Hand. You probably have heard it at some point in your life, and it goes like this. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidding, good folks?' he cried. "'Who will start the bidding for me? "'A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars. "'Who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. "'But no, from the back of the room, far back, "'a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow.' Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as the caroling angels sing. 
The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with the voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars. And who will make it two? Two thousand. And who will make it three? Three thousand once. Three thousand twice. And going and going, said he. And the people cheered, and some of them cried. We do not quite understand what changed his worth. And swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going, and he's almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Can I tell you something, dear friend? I don't know all about you. I don't know all about your background. I don't know about what sin or shame you might have walked in the door with today. Every single person in this room, you have a story to tell. Some stories are good. Some are not so good. Every person has had high moments and low moments. Every person has laughed and cried. Every single person has embarrassment and shame and regret. Who are you in the grand scheme of things? What do you matter? Do you matter to him? How do I know that you matter to him? Because you're here. God loved you enough by his divine sovereign hand to lead you to the end of Flat Creek Road today so that you could have the opportunity to hear the gospel that you might believe, be saved, be forgiven, and become a vessel used for his glory. You matter to him. No matter who you are, you matter. And let me emphasize that point. No matter who you are. You see, blazing forth, in this genealogy is something rather peculiar. Matthew does something that no other genealogist would ever do in his day. He's going to mention five women. As a matter of fact, if you take Mary out of that equation, he's going to mention four women whose lives are wrecked by sin. I mean, he totally leaves everything he knows about listing genealogies behind to put these four women in the lineage of Christ. Now, why would Matthew do this? Well, it brings us to this third lesson. This genealogy reminds us of God's grace. Amen. It reminds us of God's grace. Friends, what a reminder this is. What a beautiful truth that Jesus was not born to a family of perfect people. Jesus was born to a family of highly imperfect and flawed people. As a matter of fact, I was reading a commentary this week and this individual said that this section of scripture should be called the skeletons in Jesus' closet. Now, Jesus, of course, had no skeletons in his own personal closet. He was sinless. However, his family had tons of skeletons in their closet. I mean, just listen to these four women's names. Verse number three, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Oh, my, Tamar. What's she doing in the lineage of Jesus? 
I mean, you remember Genesis 38, don't you? She was the daughter-in-law of Judah. And Judah had two, three sons. His oldest son married Tamar. And because he was extremely wicked, God judged him and he died. And so Judah told Tamar, marry my second son. And the second son was evil and God judged him and he died too. Well, Judah thinking that it was Tamar that was causing the death, Judah said, Tamar, go home, live as a widow. And when my third son comes of age, I'll give him to you as a husband as well. But Judah had no inclination of doing so because he thought that she was a woman of death. I'm not going to give, him, give her my third-born son as well. So one day Judah's old wife dies, and Judah's going to travel out of his city to another city, and Tamar, knowing that he has no desire to give her his third son as a husband, Tamar takes on the role of a prostitute. She dresses herself in the clothes of a harlot and stands beside the road and sleeps with her own father-in-law and conceives his children, who are who? Perez and Zerah. Tamar, the woman who played the harlot and slept with her own father-in-law in the lineage of Jesus, really? And then you have Rahab. Verse number five, who was Rahab? You know her as the prostitute of Jericho. You remember that story of the spies being sent into Jericho, and where did they go? They went to Rahab the prostitute's house, and she hid them on the roof because they were spies from the, 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 the Israelites, and she knew that that God's reputation was great and that he had parted the Red Sea and that all the Egyptians were destroyed and she didn't want her home to be destroyed too. So she hid those spies on a rooftop. And when the king burst through the door and says, where are the spies? She says, they're gone from here. And the king and his men go after those spies and they can't find them. And Rahab brings them down and says, I know who you are and I know your reputation and I know what God's capable of. Remember me, remember my house when you come to take Jericho and they say you tie this scarlet cord around your window. And if you do that, when we come to take Jericho, whoever's in your house will be spared. And when those spies leave, what did Rahab do? She tied that scarlet cord on her windowsill. And when, when they came marching against the walls of Jericho, her and her entire family were spared. But still, Rahab, a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus, the prostitute of Jericho? Yet there she stands in verse 5. Also in verse 5, you come across this woman, Ruth. Ruth, a, a foreigner. Ruth, the Moabite. Her people, the Moabites, came from incest. Lot got drunk and slept with his own daughters and had a son named Moab who became the ancestor of Ruth. I mean, she's a foreigner. She has no business being here in the lineage of Jesus. She's brought back into Bethlehem by her own mother-in-law who was bitter toward God. But it's there in the field that she's redeemed by her nearest of kin, Boaz, who is the son of who? Rahab. But here she is, a foreigner, an inbred, an outcast, and there she is in the lineage of Jesus. One more, verse 6. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. 
the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba? We all know who she is. I mean, 3,000 years have passed since the time of David, but we know her reputation. David goes out on the rooftop, looks across the street, sees a woman bathing. His soldiers have gone off to war. She's the wife of one of his 30 mighty men. She's the wife of one of his very best friends. And he says, bring her to me. And the two of them have an affair, and she becomes pregnant. And Bathsheba agrees with David to not only murder her husband, but try to cover it up. And yet there she stands in the lineage of the Messiah. Bathsheba? Really? Why are these names, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, why are they here? What genealogist, I mean, truly, Matthew, if you're wanting to tell us that Jesus is the Messiah, why would you include their names? Why not Hannah? And why not Esther? Why not one of those great women of the Bible? I mean, why them? It's for one purpose, to remind us of the grace of God which saves. If God can take such broken lives and bring forth the Messiah, what amazing hope you have today. His grace is extended. His grace is offered. All you have to do is place your faith and trust in him and you can be forgiven. You know, I bring back out this little family tree here. It's kind of interesting, honestly. In the very back of this are these Christmas journals. My, my great-grandparents on my grandmother's side, the McDowells, were married on Christmas Day in the 1920s, I guess. And, and my grandfather, McDowell, wrote a Christmas journal every year up into the 1980s. And I was going through these the other day, and I want you to listen to what I found that he wrote in 1936. Listen to this. The snow is gently falling making the ground, the trees, and the shrubs a beautiful white. The world has been transformed into a wonderland, peaceful, clean, and unblemished, so it seems, reminding us of the words of Jesus when he said, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be like crimson, I will make them white like wool. When everything is covered with snow, it looks so clean, so pure, even dirty places are hid. The blood of Jesus can do the same thing for the lives of men. But his blood not only makes them clean, it cleanses them to the uttermost. 1936, my great-grandfather wrote that, and can I tell you the same thing is true today. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And it leads us to this final lesson. And it's the point of the entire genealogy, really. I mean, Matthew, the genealogist, no, Matthew, the evangelist. You see, Matthew is, is through his entire genealogy, he's just, he's beckoning you to see Christ, to see him as the king. And as a matter of fact, friends, if you go back to the very first genealogy in Scripture, Genesis 5, they're going to put it up on the screen here, Genesis 5. In Genesis 5, there's a list of names that you'll find in Genesis 5. Now, these are listed in order just like you would read them if you turn to Genesis 5. 
Now, here's the list of names on the left, and on the right is the meaning of those names. Let me just go through it for you. Now, these are in order. Some of you remember this from when we walked through Genesis, Genesis 5. Adam, his name means man. Seth, appointed. Enosh, mortal. Kenan, sorrow. Mahalalel, blessed God. Jared, shall come down. Enoch, teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, despair. Noah, rest. These are the names of Genesis 5, the first genealogy in Scripture. And when you read them, they actually form a sentence. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest. The first genealogy in Scripture is God shouting at us. From this line, the Messiah will come. From this family, the serpent-crushing seed of the woman will be born. Well, you come to Matthew and you read these names, you say, well, none of those names, Adam, none of those names are in this gospel. Well, jump with me to Luke chapter number 3. Luke chapter 3, we have another genealogy which is mentioned. In Luke 3, we're going to begin reading in verse number 34. Luke 3 and verse 34. Remember, what did the genealogy just do? The genealogy just told us, here's the gospel. The Messiah is coming. The blessed God is going to come down and give the despairing rest. It's going to come through this line. And what do we see in Luke, 30, Luke 3, 34? The lineage of Jesus, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arpachshad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, here it is, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the seed of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. What line did Jesus come from? He came from the very line of which God said, this is from whom the Messiah will come. This is King Jesus. This is the one. As we talked about last week, he is the Savior you need. So I ask you this question. Who sits upon the throne of your heart? Is Jesus your king? Now, there's a newsflash here. He's king whether he's your king or not. But he invites you to be a part of his kingdom. He invites you to come and have your name written down in his book. He invites you to come and be a part of his kingdom forever and ever and ever. Have you given your life to Christ? He's the king that you need. Some of you are trying to be the king of your own life, and that's why you're so miserable. If you make Jesus your king, you will find that all things have joy and peace, even in the midst of struggle. Now, I want you to listen as we kind of come to a close to the words that were spoken many years ago 
by a pastor in California named Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Many of you will know this. You've probably heard this on the Internet, but I want you to listen to what this man wrote about 70 years ago concerning King Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Is Jesus the king of my heart? Dr. Lockridge said, my king was born a king. The Bible says that my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him this morning? Don't leave. Don't mislead me. Do you know my king? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there's no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's endurably strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally grateful. Uh, he's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the center's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the core and necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you can choose to call him. Well, he's the only one that's able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available to the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives the sinner. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of peaces. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Do you know him? His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you this morning, but he's indescribable. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I've come to tell you that the heavens cannot contain him, let 
alone can man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He's always been. He's always will be. I'm talking about he has no predecessor. He has no successor. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Great is the Lord. Don is the power. Don is the kingdom. Don is the glory. Yes, Don is the kingdom. Don is the power. Don is the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all your forevers, there he sits on the throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's my king. Do you know him? Have you given your life to him? As I said at the very beginning, we give you an invitation to be saved. Brother Caleb and the musicians are going to come, and we're going to have a time now for you to give your life to Christ. And if you've never done so, we're going to invite you to come to this altar to make a bold move and just come and give your life to Jesus. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as our musicians begin to play. I'm just wondering today if there'd be anybody in the room that would say, you know, Pastor Zach, that genealogy spoke directly to me. I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life forever and ever. I came in this room today, I didn't think I mattered. But if he cares enough to write all those names down, people that had checkered past, then I know I matter to him. And I need God's grace in my life. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Wow, if my life was laid out and my sins were laid bare for everybody to see, I would be shamed. But praise God, if he can do a work in them and through them, he can do a work in me. And I see God's scarlet thread of redemption working down through the ages. All the way back to Adam, all the way down, I see that Jesus is the one who has come to bring the despairing rest. And today, I don't want him just to be the king. I want him to be my king. I want to put my faith, my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I've tried that long enough. My life is absolutely miserable. But today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I don't ever want to go back to that way of sin. Friends, if that's you, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe your sins were nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago? And are you ready to die to the old person, 
the old man, the old woman, that the new person might come to life, resurrected in the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiven, set free, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus today and be saved. Well, I invite you to pray a simple prayer, something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've been separated from you because of my own choices and my own sin. But I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died in my place. And I believe he resurrected from the dead. And today I repent of my sins. And I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I need to be saved. Save me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Change me forever that I might live for you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to listen. If you prayed that prayer just now, and remember, it's not a prayer that Pastor Zach prays that can save you. It's not a magical prayer found in the scriptures. It has the prayer of your heart. So it's not just repeating words. It's, it's truly a heart of repentance and truly saying, I need Jesus. I, I can't do, I can't go any further. I've got to have Christ. If this morning, if you have prayed to make Jesus your Savior, would you just raise your hand? Anybody at all would say today, I've prayed and asked Jesus to save me. Anybody at all, if you're online, if you're on the radio, please drop a comment there. and We have people that would talk to you. Anybody at all that would say, I need to give my life to Christ this morning. We trust that hearts are clean and hearts are pure and hearts are clear. And we are going to have a time of invitation for you to come and put your faith in Christ. We also want to give you an opportunity to worship. As we close our service today, the beautiful song, you are my all in all. Brother Caleb's going to lead us. If you need to be saved, come take me by the hand. Saints, this is your opportunity to worship your king, Brother Caleb. verse of that song, you come as the Lord leads. In my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name.
today. Listen, we still have some there in the altar that are praying and worshiping, and we appreciate them and, and just their heart to worship. We appreciate all those that are downstairs praying for us right now, and we appreciate you. Listen, uh, what are you doing this afternoon at 5 o'clock? You're coming here. You're coming here. You just committed to it. And what does Jesus say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you better be back tonight. Listen, 5 o'clock right here in this room tonight, we're having the night of worship. This is our choir special. They've been working on Christmas music for many, many months now. And you do not want to miss this tonight at 5 p.m. So we want to invite you back. Go invite your neighbors. Go invite your friends. Go invite your family members, whoever, and tell them to come back tonight at 5 o'clock. Now, this is how we're going to entice you beyond the worship. Now, that should be the first reason you come. But we're also having a Christmas meal afterwards. Amen. And we know that every Southern Baptist will come to eat. So we want to invite you to come and be a part of tonight at 5 o'clock. So please be back for that. Listen, if you would like to give to Flat Creek, you can give on your way out the door this morning, or you can always give at flatcreekchurch.net. Please don't forget that we're taking up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal this year is $60,000. Every dollar you give, every penny you give, uh, goes directly to a missionary on the foreign mission field. Okay? So you, by just giving a dollar, will reach the nations with the gospel this year. So please give, okay? I told the first services, and I'm going to tell you this too. And I know I don't want to make anybody upset, but here's what I'm going to tell you. If today you have $1 to give, and you're thinking to yourself, should I give it to Flat Creek directly, or should I give it to Lottie Moon? Give it to Lottie Moon, okay? We're a church that believes in missions and the gospel, and God has abundantly blessed Flat Creek this year financially. And so... If, if all you got is a dollar to give, give it to Lottie Moon. That's my heart. I, I want to see us not just get to $60,000. Here's the thing. It's not about the number. We want to bless missionaries. We want the gospel to go forward. We want unreached people groups to be reached. 3.3 billion people on the globe today that have never heard the gospel of Jesus. And don't you want them to hear? Well, give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering today. That would be a great blessing. If you're here for the very first time and visiting with us, I'll meet you at the door. would love to meet you and talk to you for a moment. Brother Caleb is going to close us with a word of prayer, and we're going to see you back here at 5 o'clock tonight. God bless. Lord, we're so grateful for the time we got to spend together with our church family uh, and some visitors this morning. Lord, we pray that uh, as we make our way out, we would just uh, be str more strongly connected with each other in your name and because of what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that as we go, keep us safe on this rainy day. We thank you for it, but Lord, we do pray for extra safety and guidance on the way home. We love you so much, Lord, and we worship you and we praise you humbly together for all the blessings you see fit to give us. Thank you for all of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's
Texas greetings. This is Grant Gibson with Karen Peckinu River, inviting you to stay tuned for more Christmas favorites. 97.5 Glory FM. Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Hi, I'm Father.